0: right classroom come on in take a seat beside me my friend hey look here come ta charlie let's see what he got to say
1: morning it's worship wednesday and you're watching the road to concord with professor joe Bacanova. charlie
0: is that you
1: yeah it's me okay i'm here i'm back and let's see here oh yeah homeroom it's on rumble you just go to Rumble and you search the channels for The Road to Concord. It's one word. When you find it, you go ahead and you click follow. Might mean you got to set up an account, but it's fast. It's easy. It's free. I did it. You can do it. For those technologically challenged members of the class, you can also catch us on Facebook, Twitch, Twitter, and YouTube. Then you can catch a podcast after the show. It's uploaded to Podbean, iHeartRadio, Spotify, and hopefully BitShoot. shoot. Just look for The Road to Concord. You can go to the blog page at the That's where you find all your show notes, study notes, and handouts for the class. Finally, you can email a professor at Joe at the He's a little slow, but he's catching up. So he'll email you back. If you want if 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 if, yeah, 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 yeah. if if, if if and you find our classes helpful, please click the thumbs up, like, subscribe, and share it with those you think could benefit from it. Just warn them. Joe is an acquired taste.
0: eh, mm. Hey, tastes. we all know T.A. Charlie isn't on there. Now, just stay seated and give it a chance. You'll soon realize we not might be the smartest, but we each independently form opinions based on reason and logic. We're free thinkers. Let's see what the road to Concord with Professor Joe Bakanovic has on the lesson plan for today. And I failed. How'd you feel?
1: We will not have pre-recorded shows next week.
0: No, we tried. Charlie tried. Charlie did everything he could do. This is not Charlie's fault. Did I just say that? Yep, it's not Charlie's fault. This is Rumble's fault.
1: But anyway, we do have the archive. And oh, uh, by the way, on YouTube, we do have three playlists up there if you would like to do it that way. We've got some shows up there. So you just have to do that if you really miss us.
0: Just don't forget to come back on the second. Yeah, come back on the second. The easiest way to do that is to go to Rumble, set up a subscription, you know, whatever, get signed into Rumble and follow our page so that when something new gets programmed, you'll get a notification on your phone saying, hey, don't miss, you know, the road to Concord. Or on Facebook, you can do it on both and that way you'll get a double warning or notification or whatever you want to call it, depending on how you see us. If you like us, it's a notification. If you're not so felt fond of it, it's a warning. Yeah, but we we did try it's just not going to be technologically you know the technology or the programming on streamyard side is not going to let us do this well yeah it's it's on streamyard it's not even rumble streamyard's not going to let us do this that's that's our studio program so um we were hoping to give you pre-recorded sh- you know pre-recorded shows r- reviews from the archives next week not going to be able to do that we're going to leave you to go choose your own um Worship Wednesday, we're going to continue on with what we started yesterday. Yesterday, we did the history of Christmas. It was sort of kind of, you know, what the church might call a secular review uh, of the history of Christmas and some of the pagan practices that have snuck into it. Now, real quick, it's going to be important that I establish this, and I didn't put this in your slideshow today, but let's establish what pagan means. In, in the word itself carries a connotation of the field, you know, like field workers or whatever. Common. Common, ordinary day, you know, every old day. It, like a commoner, like of the field, like something that's common, not set apart, not sanctified, not holy, just common. People can use it as a pejorative, as an insult if you want. Um, it's not what the word means. It has Derived that connotation for Bible believers. I get that. I understand that. But what what we're about to do today, I um, boy, I want to give this class, but this is going to be a case of if if your heart is for God Yahweh. And you know, on this class we use his covenant name to make sure we know which God we're talking about, because the Bible does acknowledge the very real existence of other Elohim, other created spiritual beings. We do not have another English word for that other than God. Spirits, if you want to call them that. But that tends to have a different connotation in our world. So people, when they hear me say that, oh, you're a heretic. I don't want to listen to you, Joe. Well, read your Bible. Okay. Uh, Naaman and Elijah. Naaman has to be with the king to go, you know, take care of his God, Dagon, the fish God. The Bible does not treat Dagon as not being real. It treats Dagon as being very real. That's why Yahweh defeats him. Yahweh can't defeat something that's not real. Yahweh didn't defeat a bunch of mythical gods in Egypt. He defeated very real gods. Elohim, spiritual beings, created beings. Rebellious angels is what they are. So... Let's be serious and honest with everybody, you know, with ourselves today. This is going to be for if you're a if you're a believer in scripture and you want to be close to Yahweh and His Word, this one might be tough. This one might be tough because we're going to pick up where we left off yesterday. And and not specifically dealing with Christmas, but uh <laughs> this is a case of where the, the wow did the Holy Spirit work with us this this last 24 or 36 hours. Um, and I'll show you as we go through it, but I stumbled onto something that I wasn't aware of, at least not by this name. And lo and behold, when I went to look for it, the three points I wanted to make today already that were in my head pop up in, in things that have been out for a long time. The church knows about this. What I want to talk to you today about today is called syncretism. Now, this picture says skipping through the Bible. In other words, you're not swallowing the scriptures whole. You pick and choose what you're, you got an a la carte religion. You skip through the Bible. You like this piece. you like, Oh yeah, I like that grace and that free love and all that stuff. And I'm, I'm saved once saved. Oh yeah. I'll take those. And that's all you take. Well, congratulations. You mix that with other things. That is literally syncretism. That's how you create your own religion. And it is not good stuff. Not if you're trying to be right with the God of the Bible, Yahweh. This is just a quick definition of syncretism. We'll get into it more in detail here throughout the day. Syncretism is a religious, religious syncretism exhibits the blending of two or more religious belief systems into a new system or the incorporation into a religious tradition of beliefs from unrelated traditions. This can occur for many reasons, and the latter scenario happens quite commonly in areas where multiple religious traditions exist in proximity and function actively in the culture. Or when a culture is conquered and the conquerors bring their religious beliefs with them, but do not succeed in entirely eradicating the old beliefs or especially practices. This is what happened with Israel when they refused to wipe out the Canaanites. It led to syncretism and eventually to idolatry. This is syncretism in a picture. You take the biblical worldview, you put it in a pot and you mix in some pagan stuff, and you've got something new. That's syncretism. Now, you can claim to still be Bible-believing, but as soon as you start mixing that pagan stuff in there, it's not. And as you're going to see before the end of today's show, the Bible has a lot to say about this in both the Old and New Testament. That right there is syncretism. You know, that coexist bumper sticker with all the religious signs? That's not religious tolerance, folks. That's syncretism. And it leads to stuff like this, Chrislam. That's syncretism. The Bible calls this a heresy, apostasy, blasphemy. This is an abomination. And you will get yourself kicked out of the congregation for things like this. Scripture says so. So when I went and I wanted to look at what, you know, I ran into this word. I was researching, doing my homework for today's lesson plan. I ran into this word syncretism. Oh, boy. I, I, hey, look, Joe rabbit hole <laughs> dove in head first. Yep. I went down that rabbit hole quick, Jack. Luckily for me, this one was actually fairly easy to get my hands, my head wrapped around. So what we do is we go to a homework assignment, right? Road to concord.com right there. Homework today, 12, 20, 20 show notes. Believers beware of the syncretism and Christmas there's all the links that I used. I looked at a few more, but it turns out this was good enough for today's class because the first thing I ran into is Bible Gateway right here. Let me blow this up for you a little bit, make it a little easier to see. BibleGateway.com, okay? Am I not being seen heard?
1: No, you were not.
0: Okay. I pulled myself out of studio and it dropped my voice. You must have
1: pulled it all the way out.
0: Okay, folks. I was to my out apologies. What was going on. My apologies. I shouldn't have done that. Let, let's I'll I, I know better now. Let me just pop you back what I was doing. I apologize. We'll recover this real quick we'll, rerun we'll, we'll through this real quick. It should have still had me talking, but my bad. I, I goofed. Um we were going over Bible Gateway's listing of syncretism. When I looked into that, in the Dictionary of the Bible themes, it goes over syncretism, and it tells you that God's claim to exclusive worship, this is the basis of the rejection of syncretism, and it gives you the passages where you need to look at this. Exodus 20, verse 3, and Deuteronomy 5, verse 7. Then it says, syncretism is forbidden to Israel. main passage there is Exodus 34, 15 through 16. Israelite practice of syncretism, this is where they get caught doing it. Jeremiah 19, 4 through 5. If you're watching the board, you know, if you see the chalkboard, the, the screen, you see there's other verses supporting this. The consequences of syncretism, scriptural consequences, you'll find that in Jeremiah 2, 5. There's punishment for syncretism, Zephaniah 1, verses 4 through 5. Syncretism in the New Testament, it shows you uh, the Mediterranean society was very syncratic. Acts 14, 11 through 13, Acts 17, verses 16 through 23, Acts 19, verses 13 through 16. The New Testament opposes syncretism. Hebrews 13, 9. You'll also see 1 Corinthians 10 21, Galatians 4, 9 through 10, and Colossians 2.18. And it says monotheism, you know, our faith is incompatible with syncretism. Isaiah forty 6. Then there's three other passages you can go look at. The point I was trying to make here, and I'm I'm sorry for bumping myself out of studio. I apologize. I didn't mean to do that. But when I bumped into this, I'm like, holy cow, the church knows about this. Why is this a problem? I'm going to say something that is very, 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 it's going to be controversial. You know me by now, I hope. I hope you, if you're in the audience today, I hope you're a long-term listener. If you've got people that you've asked to come to this show and watch this, or if you you share this show with somebody, warn them. That this show is standing on the back of every worship Wednesday I've done so far. Okay, so every five shows out of 329 shows, there's 60 something shows. I stand on definitions, form and function define, not the word we assign to it. So if synchronism tells me that's the mixing of pagan, common practices, worship practices with. The the Kadesh set apart holy practices. If that's what syncretism is, then the thing we call Christianity is syncretic. What? Yes, Christianity itself has a serious problem because it is riddled with Gnostic and other pagan practices and thinking, and both Gnosticism and other you know like yesterday with Christianity and, and Christmas. We have adopted Gnostic ideas. Sunday worship, that's Gnostic. I mean, not Gnostic, that's pagan, rather. Sunday worship, that's worship to the sun. That's moving the Sabbath is pagan. that That's synchronic. Uh You're saying, okay, I'll worship on Sunday, but it's for Yahweh. And as we're going to see today, that does not end up well for people who do this. Not at all. That's dangerous stuff, folks. Um. But as I got doing this lesson, I had to come face-to-face with the realization of just how corrupted our walk in the way, the scriptural teachings of how to live the way Yahweh wants us to live. I had to come face-to-face with how corrupted that's gotten over the centuries and how blind to it the majority of us are. We're boiled frogs. We didn't realize the pot was turned on high, and we've gotten very comfortable in that hot water. And it is now a very dangerous place to be if you seek a right relationship with Yahweh and his son, Yeshua, the Messiah. All right, the next one I have here, this is from Crosswalk.com. This says, what's so dangerous about syncretism in the Bible? You're going to find several stories in here that are related, but this is the one I'm, I'm using. We used Crosswalk yesterday. Crosswalk had an article in there where it said the Christmas tree is pagan in origin. I like Crosswalk. They're honest believers. I still think they have some things they need to work through, but they're honest. And this is a ghost they there. And he says, I'm going to share a word with you that might not be too familiar with. He says, That word is, syncreti- is syncretism. I know what you're thinking. Synchro what? If you have never heard of this, don't worry, you're not alone. Even if you may not know the word, you have probably seen its effects. That's why I want to help you understand what syncretism is and how you see what is so dangerous about syncretism in the Bible. And then it goes, what is it? And he defines it. It says, is this the same thing as religious tolerance? And he explains that. He says, what's so dangerous about syncretism in the Bible? And he goes through that. Things like syncretism, the first passage you see this. It says. You will not certainly die, the serpent said to the woman, for God knows that when you eat from it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. He mixed a little bit of truth with a whole lot of lie and came out with a syncretic statement to Eve. That's how this works. Shows you syncretism within our society. This is very important. Jesus says, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. So salvation is found in no one else. There is no other name under heaven given to mankind by which you must be saved. In this case, we better use the Hebrew word Shem. Because if you've been around long, long, long enough with us, you know this, that this doesn't mean you're saved by the name of Jesus. No, you're saved by the nature and character of Jesus. That's what Shem means. That's the Hebrew word that we translate as name. If you go back into Old English, you're going to find that Shem and name do work, but you need an older definition of name. You know, my good name. Well, there's nothing good about Joe. When you say something, you know, he defended his name or he he, he he's worried about his good name, reputation, my character. That's what we're told. There's no other character. There's no other reputation that you can be saved by. There's no other, you know, nature, but by Jesus. And who and what is Jesus? He's the Word, the living Word of the Father, Yahweh. So his character is the Word of Yahweh, and his that's his nature, and his character is to live it. And we are told to imitate the Messiah. So you're supposed to be learning to walk the way he walked. He did not mix the common with the holy. We do that way too much today. And you'll go back to this article if you want to go read it later. It says, Does this exist within the church? Does syncretize syncretism work with exist within the church? Oh yeah, it does. And you're going to see that before the end of this show. So then I went to the next, you know, I'm still searching. I'm doing my homework and I ran into this. This is from BibleTools.org. What the Bible says about syncretism. Oh, boy, this article has been there for a while. It doesn't have a date on it. I don't know when it was written. But I want to read an excerpt that I put in the slide, and then we're going to go show you the article. This is part of the page that was already there. This is the Holy Spirit working. I had no idea that this was even there. I had no, no idea I was looking for it, and this wouldn't have come up in an ordinary search of the titles of this post. So as I'm doing syncretism, that's what got me to it. It says, using Christmas as an excuse, men have added foreign beliefs and practices to the worship of God the Father and Jesus Christ. They have combined pagan ideas, beliefs, and practices with Christianity without examining whether God approves of this. This implies presumption by the syncretizer. Presumption is an attitude of belief dictated by probability. Facts play little part in presumption, just probability and likelihood. Its first synonymous is assumption, followed by arrogance, boldness, impertinence, and imprudence. Presume, it's a, in a verb form, means to undertake without leave or clear justification, to expect or assume, especially with confidence, to suppose to be true without proof to take for granted. In other words, God's okay with me mixing all this stuff. He knows I'm worshiping his son, Jesus. That's what he's talking about with assumption. That's presumption. He continues in this article, says, when combining the concepts of syncretism and presumption and the Israelitish characteristic of misguided zeal for knowledge, and he references Romans 10, verses 1 through 3, it is easy to see why a holiday like Christmas could become and remain a practice in modern Israel. Modern-day Israel. The Israelitish people, meaning Israel-like or whatever, especially the sons of Joseph, we're coming back to that in just a second, seem to be imbued with a spirit of zeal that is both a blessing and a curse. It's almost paradoxical that the Israel's sons for God is often its greatest hindrance. The Israel's zeal for God, rather, is often its greatest hindrance as it retards true righteousness that comes by faith and submission to God. Virtually all of Israel's religious zeal is wasted because it's stamped in the wrong direction, stampedes in the wrong direction. Before we go to the article, come back to this, especially the sons of Joseph. Who are the sons of Joseph? Ephraim and Manasseh or Manessa? I don't know how to pronounce that. Uh, Charlie says Manasseh. Um, he's probably right. It, th- there's prophecies about these two sons. Ephraim holds the birthright. Ephraim is seated now, and I know a lot of believers will reject this. The United States is the seat of Ephraim that can be scripturally supported. I don't mean as in USA, USA. No, I mean this region, this This is the land that Yahweh promised to give Ephraim for rest from his trials. This is where he would gain his strength, stand up and help his sister Judah, the married bride. Now, after that's done, Ephraim has to fall and everything needs to return back to the Holy Lands. So we are in the process of being removed and Yahweh's doing it in a way that if you don't, Recognize him, you don't want to look at him. You'll look at it and you'll say, Oh, well, it was the progressives and the communists and the socialists did it. No, all things work to the good of those who believe and trust in him. So he's using human affairs to remove this country out of the way. So the world's entire focus will be on the holy lands. And you cannot focus on the holy land without focusing on the father. And if you're focused on the father, you're going to run into the son. So this is all about him and his glory. But Joseph, where is Christmas celebrated the strongest right now? Throughout the whole world. There's only one country that might be more Christmified than the United States. and That's Japan. And who do you think brought it to Japan? The United States after World War II. Because before that, Japan didn't know Christmas. And primarily in Japan, it's just a, it's a business holiday. You know, everybody gets rich from all the gift giving. So I did that, and then I went here. This is the rest of the article, and I know you probably won't be able to see it or read it, but it's in your show notes, and it continues. That was from an article by J.W. Rittenbaum, and it continues, the whole thing is about Christmas. This whole article is using Christmas as the illustration of syncretism. It says, God nowhere speaks of making Christmas a part of Christianity, nor does he say to celebrate his son's birth, He does tell us, though, not to add to his worship anything that is tradition of the heathen. Such additions hinder rather than enhance our journey to God's kingdom. He says, what are the fruits of keeping Christmas? Has Christmas helped to glorify God? Has it clarified and aided man's spiritual life? We have a record of the fruits of Jewish additions. Their intent may have been better than those who accepted Christmas into Christianity, since they at least attempted to obey the law of God. Still, when Jesus walked among them, they did not recognize their own Messiah. Adding to and subtracting from God's word changes God's intended focus. Christmas is no better. When we so-called Christians add Christmas to Christianity, it had nothing to do with true Christianity at all. It was a ploy to win converts to pagan, uh, from paganism. It was a deliberate grab for power. From the beginning, Christmas, rather than promoting the true God and his way of life, has only led people away from the truth. Peter writes that we are redeemed from these very traditions. These traditions, inherited from our fathers, are a part of our culture. Jesus used his ministry to repudiate every addition, subtraction, and distortion that had been attained any kind of uh, spurious or, or divine authority, and he did this by clarifying and magnifying the truth. Christmas seems to have divine authority because Christians are doing it, but it's part of the world that is anti-God, anti-Christ. It is not part of what God has shown is true. That's from John W. Rittenbaugh again, and it goes over several of these from him. God is not to be mocked, and it talks about that. It says no Christian holiday is as misleading as Christmas except perhaps Easter. He goes over that. Then in Genesis, he's given all different passages in here. Look how long this is, folks. He's going through, and he starts each different passage. And Christmas is the focal point. Deuteronomy, First Kings. This entire article is using Christmas as the focal point, but he's using it also to teach the principle. He's teaching ice cream here. The ice cream in this case is syncretism. He's focusing primarily on on Christmas as the primary flavor, but he discusses other things in here. There's First Kings again, Second Kings, Second Kings again, Proverbs. Proverbs again, this article is all the same thing, folks. Proverbs again, look how long this is. Yeah, I know you're going to go, I'm not going to read that. Well, if you're after Yahweh's heart, you might want to. Isaiah, he's still going, we're still going, we're still going. I'm scrolling, folks, I'm scrolling, I'm scrolling, I'm scrolling. Each one of these, he's taking a different passage. Luke, we're we're now into John, we're into the New Testament, we're into Acts. I'm still scrolling. Romans, Romans, 1 Corinthians. All of this is anti-syncretism. First Corinthians, Galatians, second Thessalonians, Titus, first John, revelation. Holy cow. Think maybe this is a big issue. I did. I was like, holy cow. (laughs) I guess to quote Jenny run for his run, Aaron settled that Natasha. Keep a handle on your boyfriend there. Would you please? He's getting out of line.
1: Who said he was my boyfriend? That is a false statement. Oh my gosh.
0: Aaron, you just got kicked to the curb by an AI. <laughs> we humanized her, Charlie, and she's upset.
1: I swear. Well, you know.
0: All right, come on, blue bloop there, unicorn. Bye-bye.
1: Give an AI a little bit of sentience and
0: they just they run with it, man. Beggars can't be choosers, she's being picky. We gave her Aaron, the man who fired Charlie, several times. All right. The next article I ran into, this is also from BibleTools.org. And uh, I pulled another excerpt from here. And he says, God does care how we worship him. He gives specific commands about how he wants to be glorified according to his standards, not ours. It does matter whether or not we share in the celebrations of this world's pagan religious holidays. Though the Bible, though the Bible, the word of God, the word of Yahweh, the living word of God is Yeshua his son, makes no distinguish no dis- direct reference rather to New Year's Eve. The Bible doesn't mention Lent, it doesn't mention Easter, Halloween, or Christmas. The origins of these pagan holidays are mentioned as being an abomination to God. It's by Martin G. Collins, Pagan Holidays. So we'll go to this page, and we'll share this one real quick. And he goes over this, and he goes, comment on the board, Aaron Spikes, I have children older than Natasha. Just, you two, Charlie, please, tame the children. We're doing a worship study here. I know. know. They're acting up in the pews, man. See us after service, you two. So here we have Mike Ford, and he starts in Exodus, and he, he teaches about—the title here is What the Bible Says About Pagan Religious Practices. And then we have Exodus. He's going to do Exodus again. And then Leviticus. And that, that's a long post there. And then Deuteronomy. We have a long post. Deuteronomy again. Now Joshua. First Kings. Forest is running again. Second Kings. Now we got Second Kings again, Second Kings again, Second Kings again, Proverbs. This is long folks. This is all and he is dealing with it. Look at all the quotes to uh, the links to the different sources and the different other related topics here. Now we're in Jeremiah. This is all cross referent This is good work. This is good work. He's I'm not going to go through all this. It's in your show notes. You go look for yourself if you want, if you don't care about it, whatever. Now he's in Ezekiel. Now he's in Ezekiel. He's in Hosea. He's in Matthew. Oh, New Testament is still condemning pagan practices. Matthew again, Matthew again, Mark, Luke. Now he's in uh, John, and he's going to come down here to Acts and Acts and Galatians, and he's going to go to Galatians again, and then Colossians. Yahweh condemns pagan practices. That seems to be fairly clear. We seem to have forgotten that in the church. Then he goes, this is another one from Bible Tools again. This is what the Bible says about the blend of truth and paganism. In other words, truth and paganism, in this case, that's Yahweh's way to practice him blended with pagan practices. And once again, we look and we see how long this one scrolls. Not quite as long, but just as as hard-hitting when you go through it. So those are in your homework. Those are for you to review at your leisure. But here's one from that last one we just did, what the Bible says about blending pagan practices. And notice, this is the Spirit talking again, at at least the way I see it. It says, lately, Christmas-keeping Christians have been forced, in other words, Christians who keep Christmas, have been forced to stand up for Christmas. Atheists and agnostics have been clamoring for the removal of religion from Christmas celebrations. They want advertisers to market the season without reference to Christmas instead using innocuous holiday moniker. They want businesses to ditch playing traditional Christmas carols over their in-store audio systems in favor of winter music. Countless courts have weighed in, some on one side, some on the other, concerning Christmas cliches on public property. Christian groups have had to file lawsuits to force school systems to allow their students to sing Silent Night and not. And not some wintry parody during winter concerts. So, this is all extremely ironic, even hilarious at times. Christmas celebrating Christmas celebrating Christians, Christians who keep Christmas, rush to the barricades to defend this most sacred holiday from the godless hordes, all the while totally missing the fact that they are defending the indefensible. Where is their authority to keep the day in the first place? Rome? Probably. Jerusalem? Nope. Bethlehem? Hardly. The Bible? Not a chance. In reality, by its materialism and syncretism, this world's Christianity has helped the modern secular world sanitize, not Santa eyes, sanitize Christmas. This supposedly Christian holiday has been systematically disinfected of its biblical taint simply because it is fundamentally unbiblical. In other words, Yahweh is not defending it. Its only scriptural basis is the gospel account of the birth of Jesus and they prove that traditional christmas teachings sit on a foundation of sand. What what? The recount of the birth by Luke tells us that the December 25th birthday is wrong. We covered that yesterday. If you're going to do this accurately, you're going to be either possibly maybe passover more than likely Feast of Tabernacles when God comes to live with his people, which is exactly what Jesus did. You know, Emmanuel, O come, O come, Emmanuel, God with us. Why wouldn't he come at the Feast of Tabernacles when God comes to live with us? For me, I don't know about you, but for me, those three articles, that and I read them, baby, I got smacked in the head. I know to get rid of Christmas and Easter, Halloween, there's a whole heck of a lot more I've got to get rid of that I hadn't recognized. And it, when when those authors, those those good believers that were writing that article, those articles I just shared with you, when they're putting them together and they're citing this passage and this passage and this passage, the fireflies are just going in my head saying, yep, 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 yep. And the Holy Spirit's going right on, right on, right on, brother. And I'm like, oh crap, Joe, you got a lot of work left to do thought you had it all you ain't even close so gonna be going back to the bible here real soon and starting in genesis 1 1 to reread it for the umpteenth time because i've missed some stuff this got nothing to do with me trying to earn my way to heaven folks this has got to do with the rule book tells me this is what you need to do to be a good you know good soldier in the kingdom so back to the rule book not because it's going to earn me anything Oh, following the rules in the Marine Corps doesn't earn you a promotion. No, it doesn't. It doesn't it just, it just doesn't. Learning to be a good Marine is what gets you promoted. You can have really bad in the Marine Corps. It's called cutting score. I don't know about how the air force works. I think you get your score, you get promoted. It don't work that way in the Marine Corps, Marine Corps. You can have bad cutting score, but really a really good Marine. It's just that you get yourself in trouble in certain areas. All they'll promote you up until you get yourself busted again, but they'll, they'll keep promoting you if you're a good Marine in. And, and, you know, your score is not always indicative of that. You know, if, if you could be not the smartest, not the best swimmer, not the best shooter, but if you get things done, you'll get promoted. That's what I'm after. I I, I want to be good at following the rule book. I'm not earning Jack. I just want to be, I just want to be a good soldier. So I'm going to have to go back to the rule book here, folks. So let me cover a few things that I told you I was going to go over here. This is, this is the first one. This is Deuteronomy 12, 3-4, and it says, And you shall destroy their altars, break their sacred pillars, and burn their wooden images with fire. You shall cut down the carved images of their gods and destroy their names from that place. You shall not worship Yahweh your God with such things. It says this is an idol worship. You know, the Christmas tree, cross it out, Jeremiah 10. Now, here in Deuteronomy, it's talking about idols, idolatry. That is not syncretism. They're related. They are not the same thing. So if I start worshiping the bull and I'm worshiping Baal, that's idolatry. If I'm worshiping the trees like a druid, and that's where this comes from, the, the, the druids are are one way, shape, or form of another. They're connected to the pagan tree worship of the ancient Near East. So if you're worshiping the their gods through the trees, that's idolatry. But if you claim to be worshiping Jesus in connection to a Christmas tree, that's syncretism. Syncretism is when you bring in the pagan practices and claim that you're still worshiping Yahweh. Idolatry is when you just adopt the other god. Ashtrapol, you're worshiping Astra. You and I know her name by Easter, same goddess. So that's how this works. So... Deuteronomy 12 verses 3 through 4 does not necessarily talk in that regard, but it does. Verse 4 does. You shall not worship Yahweh, your Elohim, in such manner. Not with these things. Now in Jeremiah, it talks about cutting down the tree, you know, shaping it by hand, decorating it with silver and gold and pinning it up in the house. Well, folks, that's not a Christmas tree. That's an idol. It's literally creating an idol, a little figurine that you you overlay with gold and silver and you make a like a Buddha or something out of it. That's entirely different. So th- those pagan police Christians that go after these things using these verses, they've chosen the wrong verses. Shows me they don't quite fully understand the concept yet. They're on the right trail. They haven't got it yet. This is syncretism. The golden calf incident was about worship not worshiping a false Elohim, it was about worshiping the one true and only Elohim, the one true and only God, falsely. Exodus 32.5, that golden calf is not about, that's not idolatry, that's syncretism. They still claimed to be worshiping Yahweh. Here's the part we always seem to miss. We never want to go back and read these scriptures. We're going to read them today. Exodus 32, picking up in verse 2. And for those who do not already know it, I always read out of the NASB scriptures, unless otherwise stated. It says, Aaron said to them, tear off the gold rings, which are on the ears of your wives and your sons and your daughters and bring them to me. So all the people tore off the gold rings, which were on their ears and brought them to Aaron. Then he took the gold from their hands and fashioned it with engraving tools and made it into a cast metal calf. And they said, the people, this is your God, Israel, who brought you from the land of Egypt. Now, when Aaron saw this, he built an altar in front of it, and Aaron made a proclamation and said, tomorrow shall be a feast to Yahweh. So the next day, they got up early and offered burnt offerings and brought peace offerings, and the people sat down to eat and drink and got up to engage in lewd behavior. Hello, Christmas. Saturnalia, everybody. Then Yahweh spoke to Moses, go down at once for your people whom you brought up from the land of Egypt have behaved corruptly. They have quickly turned aside from the way which I commanded them, the way. Hey, Charlie, we've heard that, haven't we? (laughs) Yeah. From the way which I commanded them, they have made for themselves a cast metal calf and have worshiped and sacrificed to it. They said it was Yahweh. That's an idol. But they're worshiping Yahweh through a pagan idol. That's syncretism. And Yahweh says, this is your God, Israel, who, and they said, and said, this is your God, Israel, who brought you up from the land of Egypt. Now, if you know the rest of this story, Yahweh tells Moses, if you don't go down there and save them hammer knockers, I'm going to burn a whole group up and start all over. And Moses immediately starts begging for their lives. Still cost them a bunch of people. A lot of them still died. What did they do? They're worshiping Yahweh their way. Look. Folks, Christians, here's your Christmas tree and your nativity scene. Let's worship Jesus on December 25th. You know, Sol Evictus, birthday of the unconquered son. I'm pretty sure there's nothing wrong with that, except Yahweh didn't command any of that anywhere in his scriptures. Well, Joe, that's Christian license. You don't have Christian license in that regard. You won't find that in your Bible. You have to read it into it. Well, Joe, we're set free by the son. Yeah, you're set free by Jesus because he shows you exactly how to live in a way that will please his father. That's what the freedom is. It's not free to do whatever you want. You're set free because now you don't have to guess. An ancient Near East Torah observant Hebrew would have understood that. We don't because we're reading it with Greek eyes. This is the next one. Who knows the story about Nadab and Abihu? Abihu? I do, I do. Yeah, you do, don't you? Did it end well for them, Charlie? Uh, No. <laughs> and what did they do?
1: Well, they they just, you know, were bringing strange fire into the temple.
0: Did it there. their way, right?
1: Yeah, they, they did it their way. There, but they it, were worshiping Yahweh. There may have been alcohol involved.
0: But they were still, they were worshiping Yahweh. They, they were, yeah. Didn't end well. For those of you who don't know the story, it's Leviticus 10, starting in verse 1. It says, the sin of Nadab and Abihu. It says, now Nadab and Abihu, the sons of Aaron, took their respective firepans, and after putting fire in them, placed incense on the fire, and offered strange fire before Yahweh, which he had not commanded them. And fire came out of the presence of Yahweh and consumed them, and they died before Yahweh. Then Moses said to Aaron, "It is what Yahweh spoke, saying, "By those who come near me, I will be treated as holy, and before all the people I will be honored." So Aaron, therefore kept silent. He'll be treated as holy. Let's pop Charlie in here real quick. I think we, we need a Hebrew lesson. Charlie, the, the Hebrew word behind holy is Kadosh. And it means? Set apart. Set apart from what?
1: Set apart from the common.
0: Or the unclean.
1: Or the unclean, yes.
0: And we translate it holy. We do. Which in the process, without our teachers, our pastors and our teachers explaining to us the Hebrew concept of holy, we tend to think of it as just godly. Yeah, we miss it. And we miss what it really means. How would you expand on that word, Charlie? Or would you?
1: Well, this this is this is where we have to be. We have to pay attention to what Yahweh commands, because if you look at His commands, all of His commands are to uh, to encourage us to be holy or set apart, because you know, Israel itself was a set apart nation they were supposed to be different from the rest of the world. They were supposed to be an example for the rest of the world on how you're supposed to live according to Yahweh's commands and be separate from, you know, the the other things, although they mucked it up all the time because they always wanted to be like the other nations,
0: which would make them you know, common or Oh, criminy, crip crap. We're not the seed of Ephraim, right? Israel wants to be like the other nations. What is uh, What are our progressive people always telling us? we got to be like Europe. we
1: got to be, be like, like a, Europe. Yep.
0: It, boy, is, is that a familiar reign in our ear?
1: It, it's same old, same old, same old. And we don't
0: see any other nation saying we need to be like them. We need to be like them. Now, they might say we need to have liberty like them. Or we want to go join them, which is the whole point of being the light to the world.
1: Yeah. Yeah, Israel would say... We want to have a king just like the rest of the nations.
0: You did have a king.
1: And you got a king. In heaven. Yeah, well, there's, yeah. Yeah. Long story with that. All
0: right, thanks, Charlie. We will return to this thing about Kadesh. We will. All right, the next one. We're reading passages now. Leviticus 10, a little bit later on, verse 10. 10 and 11. And it says, To make a distinction between the holy and the profane between the unclean and the clean, and so as to teach the sons of Israel all the statutes which the Lord, which Yahweh has spoken to them through Moses, telling them what you're going to do. The priests are supposed to make a distinction between the set apart and the profane, or in this case, pagan or common or unclean. Okay, well, in this case, we need to have a little bit of discernment Scripture here is telling us not to touch the unclean. But then again, Scripture tells you to get your, your neighbor's donkey out of the ditch on a Sabbath. Donkey doesn't have a split hoof. A donkey is unclean. The Messiah rides on a donkey. Donkey's unclean. You're commanded to touch the unclean. So what? It seems to be a contradiction, right? Unless, of course, you understand that what Leviticus is talking about is mixing your religious practices. This is to make a distinction between the set-apart, the holy practices, and the profane. In other words, in this case, the donkey is not profane. What's profane is pagan worship because it's worshiping false gods. That's what makes it profane. Between the unclean and the clean. Between pagan practices and Yahweh's practices. So we have a Joe. That's the Old Testament. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You wait till the end of the class today. You wait. I'll prove to you that none of this has been done away with. If it has, I will show you from Scripture, Scripture alone, that if you've thrown the law away, you threw the Messiah out the door with it. And that's profane. That's heresy. That's blasphemy. That's apostasy. That's all sorts of good garbage. That's also probably a sin against the Holy Spirit, which that can't be forgiven, folks. Be careful. Deuteronomy 12, verses 4 through 6, we all should know this one. It says, these are the statutes and judgments which you shall carefully follow in the land which Yahweh, the Elohim of your fathers, has given you, I I mistranslated there, have given you to possess as long as you live in the land. You shall utterly destroy all the places where the nations whom you are going to dispossess serve their gods, on the high mountains, on the hills, and under every leafy tree. And you shall tear down their altars and smash their memorial stones to pieces and burn their ashram, these are the poles, in the fire, and cut to pieces the carved images of their gods, and you shall eliminate their name from that place. You shall not act this way toward Yahweh your Elohim. You shall not worship me in the way they worship their gods. But you shall seek Yahweh at the place which Yahweh your Elohim will choose for all your tribes." to establish his name there for his dwelling, and you shall come there. You shall bring there your burnt offerings, your sacrifices, your tithes, the contributions of your hand, your vowed offerings, your voluntary offerings, and the firstborn of your herd and of your flock. Joe, we don't have that anymore. Yes, heck, you do. Nope, nope, Joe, It said Nope, you haven't been reading Paul, have you? Paul says, where is the temple now? In the heart of the believer. So that's, instead of having to go to Jerusalem, Yahweh says, I'm going to live in the heart of the believer now. So within yourself and within the body, go to the body, congregate, two or more in his name. So you're commanded to do that in the New Testament. You're commanded to congregate. That's because the congregation now is part of the temple. That's where Yahweh chose to dwell. So he's still telling you today in the New Covenant, just as the old. See, it's just a different flavor of ice cream. It's still ice cream. The commandment is you congregate where I tell you to, not where you want to. So when the Jews and Judaism create the synagogues and congregate there, they are in defiance of the commandment because they are not putting themselves under the uh, the new covenant. They're still under the old. That's a violation. That's a problem for them. But for a Christian, if you lock yourself away in a church, that's not the ecclesia. That's a building. The ecclesia is wherever two or more believers are gathered. Well, that passage in Leviticus talked about sacrifices. Yes, exactly. You still have to sacrifice. No, Joe, I don't. Jesus did that. Have you read Paul? Live uh, as a living sacrifice. Present yourself as a living sacrifice to Yahweh. Have you listened to Jesus? Pick up your cross and follow me. Paul, I die daily. In other words, your will, Yeshua and Yahweh, not mine. That's the living sacrifice. Leviticus, or Deuteronomy here in this case, rather, says you must sacrifice. Well, those were animals. The New Testament says you must sacrifice, in this case, your will. Sacrifice your will to his. In other words, get your butt away from the tree of of knowledge of good and evil, trying to do it your way through your will, and get your booty back under the tree of life, which is grace, which requires you to bend your will to his. You have to bend it now in this life because you're still with it, living in the flesh. When you get your glorified, resurrected body, the flesh will no longer be sinful. The sin will no longer live in your flesh. This is what Paul's talking about. Sin lives in his flesh. He is born from above. His mind wants the law of Yahweh, Torah. He's still in a battle. This is not Gnosticism. He's one and the same, okay? This is not spirit is good, flesh is bad. This is not, no, no, no. That's Gnostic thinking. That's that's you're going to get into syncretism there if you don't syncretism if you don't watch it. So what's going on here with Deuteronomy? Nothing's changed. You still meet where Yahweh tells you to meet. You still sacrifice. What changed is where the temple's located and what type of sacrifice Yahweh wants from you. The blood sacrifice, the servant sacrifice, was t- served once and for all with Yeshua's blood. But the friendship and the inheritance sacrifices are different. Those require breaking bread and being married. Well, aren't we to break bread with friendship with the Messiah? you got to know him. And what does Scripture say knowing him means? Obeying him, bending your will to his. Well, the law, the Torah, is now in your heart, which makes it easier for you to do it. You naturally yearn to and want to obey. So you come into more and more alignment with him as you are sanctified. In other words, the more and more set apart you become, the more and more sanctified you are. The more sanctified you come become, the more set apart you become. All of this lines up with the scriptures. None of this is in disharmony. Not a piece of it. So how does it work when I start bringing Christmas trees and Easter bunnies into all of this? And I move the holy days. I change the Torah, the law, and I change the set apart times, the Sabbath and the feasts. You know which you know who you're dancing to then? You're dancing to the prince who is to come. You're not dancing to the tune of the Holy Spirit. You've done exactly what Antichrist Spirit is going to do. You've changed the Torah by saying it doesn't apply. You threw it away. You've changed the set apart times by moving the Sabbath, doing away with the Jubilees, doing away with the Shemitah doing away with the feasts and substituting Christmas, Halloween, and Easter. Congratulations. Our Christian faith is the result of syncretism by definition. Charlie, what little you've learned about logic when somebody stresses the definition and they're right and the way it fits. That's a big problem, isn't it? That's a huge problem. So by definition, has the church not changed the law? My and definition. I mean the church. Christi- all of Christianity has changed the law, hasn't it? By
1: definition.
0: Has it not changed the appointed times? Yes. Is that not syncretism? It is. We've got a problem. Yep. And it's not just in our holidays. It's in dang near everything we do. If your heart is for him, thanks, Charlie, that should scare the bejeebers out of you. It does me. What happens if Joe, why don't they kill why didn't why hasn't God killed us now? Because you're not under the law, you're under grace. You understand the difference there? But are we? Yeah, some of us may not be. That's a whole different class. Today we're looking at syncretism. And I've diverged a little bit. i I got off track a little bit here. That's a different class that we need to have, and we'll do that after we come back from the beginning of the year. But folks, be careful about what you blend into your faith because this is we haven't even begun to scratch the surface, man. Ezekiel before the breaks coming up, ezekiel twenty two twenty six. Her priests have done violence to my law, Israel's priests and profaned my holy things, did violence to his Torah, and profaned his set-apart things, the temple and everything else that's set apart. They have made no distinction between the holy and the common, and they have not taught the difference between the unclean and the clean. This is a this is a refrain. We just read this in another passage back in Deuteronomy. Now here it is in Ezekiel. It says, they have closed their eyes from my Sabbaths, and I am defiled amongst them as a result. By Sabbaths, that's not just the seventh day. That's all his Sabbaths. That's some of his feasts are part of the Sabbaths. The Shemitah is part of the Sabbath. The Jubilee year is a Sabbath. We did away with Torah and the Sabbaths. We've moved the times and the law. Ezekiel forty four twenty three. 23. Moreover, this, this is half, you know, 44, 22 chapters later. Moreover, they shall teach my people the difference between the holy and the common and teach them to distinguish between the clean and the unclean. And then you have this. We'll get into this when we come back from the break. But folks, I don't know. This is more me than you. I know that. I, I, I got that. This is talking to me more maybe than anybody else that's listening to me. and it's kind of breaking my heart right now, we did really good yesterday when we were talking about the secular aspects of Christianity. I mean, of Christmas, rather. Oh, man, the numbers were off the charts yesterday. And now today, when I'm talking about the spiritual, the part that actually matters, that has an eternal consequence, well, we're still doing good on Facebook, but the numbers on Rumble, where I was hoping the people who most should be listening to me and agreeing with us are not here right now. Oh, they were all about yesterday the secular aspect of Christmas. But now that I'm getting to the heart of the matter spiritually, we got half the numbers now that we did yesterday. That's discouraging to me. It's disheartening because it tells me that I I don't care if they listen to me. That's not the point here right now. The point is the message they need to hear most they don't want to hear. And that's heartbreaking because the scripture tells me that they're probably calling themselves by his name And they worship him, but they're doing it in vain. All we can do is warn them and call them to repent. But when you've been turned over to your depravity, you don't want to hear the voice of truth. I'm not saying I am, but to the extent that the truth comes out of my mouth, it's the Holy Spirit doing it, not me. But not only do they not want to hear it, they can't. They can't even recognize it when it's right in front of them, calling them a nest of vipers and whitewashed sepulchres. And somehow or another we think that we're immune from that now because, you know, new covenant and Christ and all this stuff. We don't read the living word of the living God. We'll see you in six minutes. We'll continue. Be back in your pew. dancing (laughs) before we get going i want to show you something i posted this on our facebook um page it's an article from um uh torah for today and i i saw this last night after i had already finished up um no actually i saw it this morning bb my wife had found it and she she, had, she has insomnia, so she's usually up somewhere in the neighborhood about 3 o'clock to 4 o'clock, you know, 3 to 5 sometimes every night. She was on her phone trying to get sleepy again, and she found this article. And it's from Towards to Today about Christmas. Right down here it says, Syncretism is the combining of pagan practices and tradition with the worship of holy uh, the Holy God Elohim. Uh, scriptures contain explicit instructions how we are not to worship Elohim. And the uh, spirit of Christmas contains all of them. In other words, this, this is an article right at the heart of what we were talking about today. And you'll find that on uh, the Road to Concord's Facebook page. I linked to that. But when I wake up this morning and I go check my email and there there's the note from my wife that she had left me in the middle of the night. And lo and behold, she did not know this at the time because I had done the lesson plan after she went to bed last night. She didn't know where I was. She didn't know I had found the word syncratic at that time. She was asleep. Boom. Here we have this. So I stumble across all of this stuff, and it's almost like this was already written and meant to be taught today, and I got no doubt. I, I, I do. I have no doubt. I have faith. I have true biblical faith that somewhere else in Yahweh's word, this exact same message is being taught by other faithful brothers and sisters today. I have a feeling this is echoing out throughout his remnant today, because too much of it seems to be alignment. All right, right before we went to the break, I had popped this picture up here. Anybody know, this is the location King Joab's installed the idols for the northern kingdom of Israel. Two bulls up on pedestals. Oh, we're back to Aaron again, right? The northern kingdom, under Jeroboam, um, at least claimed to be following the Torah, the Pentateuch, the first five books of the Bible very good uh, Sadducees, that they weren't going to recognize any other part of the Bible, just the five books of Moses. And they didn't want the people to go to Jerusalem because they wanted control over the people. So they made themselves golden calves and made themselves their own Levite, you know, their own um, priests, and they set up a whole new system and pointed to the Bible and claimed to be worshiping Yahweh. And how well did that work out for these folks? Well, for one thing, this is from John chapter 4, verses 15 through 26. This is the woman at the well. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so that I will not be thirsty, nor come all the way here to draw water. He, being Jesus, said to her, Go, call your husband and come here. The woman answered, said to him, I have no husband. Jesus said to her, You have correctly said, I have no husband. Stop. She's from the northern kingdom, the house of Israel. She has no husband. She's been divorced. He says, you're correct. You're the house of Israel. The father divorced you. That's that's the deeper meaning right there, folks. He's telling her, you're of the house of Israel, lost sheep of the house, because he's in Samaria. He says, you're of the lost sheep of the house. You have no husband. You've been divorced from Yahweh. And he says, for you have had five husbands, And the one whom you now have is not your husband. So everybody looks at this and says, well, she's a harlot. She's a, uh, 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 ah, stop. There's a twofer going on here. She is living with somebody, and more than likely, he's a relative of hers. Otherwise, it would have been a problem for her to live the way she was living. But he says, you've had five husbands, the law of Moses, the Torah, Yahweh's teachings. You've had five, and the one you're living with now is not your husband. In other words, she's idolatrous. You you read this passage until this starts to sink into you. This is perfectly clear through everything I'm explaining to you. He says, he says this which you have, uh, um, you have five husbands. One's you not, not your husband. This which you have said is true. So he tells the woman it's true. And the woman said to him, Sir, I perceive that you are a prophet. Where'd she get that from? Well, she just told her what she's going through in her life. So she she may have had five husbands. That does not mean she's an adulteress or a prostitute or anything. It doesn't mean any of that could back then people died. Remember the story of Tamar Yahweh took her first two husbands, you know, the one who had the breech babies says our fathers worshiped on this mountain. And yet you Jews say that in Jerusalem is the place where one must worship. So she tells Jesus, well, our fathers worship here. She's close to one of the bulls. And The Jews say you have to worship in Jerusalem. Well, Jesus says to her, "Believe me, woman, that a time is coming when you will worship the Father neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. You Samaritans worship what you do not know; we worship what we do know, because salvation is from the Jews." So he's telling her that she's wrong. She's an apostate. She's living in heresy. That she is part of a syncretic. Religion, that he just told her he rejects her. He's the father in in the flesh, and he's rejecting her religion. She tells her, you Samaritans don't know what you worship. He says, we Jews do. Salvation is from the Jews. What comes from the Jews that might be salvation? Well, Messiah, right. And the word will go out from Zion. The Torah will go out from, well, wait a minute. I thought that was the gospel whoopsie. Uh Uh-huh. Yeah. Make of that what you will. He says, but a time is coming and even now has arrived when the true worshipers will worship the father in spirit and truth for such people, the father seeks to be his worshipers. Well, we're waiting for the second coming. So the millennial will start. It's not what he just said. A time is coming. Even now has arrived. And the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. New covenant. It says, God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. The woman said to him, I know that the Messiah is coming, he who is called Christ. When the one comes, he will declare all things to us. She knows. She's Look, she's looking forward to the Messiah. She's worshiping Yahweh and Jesus the wrong way. And Jesus, to her face, rejected her because she's doing it wrong. And then for the very first time in the scriptures, he said, Jesus says to her, I am he, the one speaking to you. If we think that we're not still somehow or another connected to the Torah, because, well, everything changed at the cross, Joe. Not what Jesus just said in his passage. He says it's already here. He's still breathing here. How could he initiate the new covenant when he hadn't died? Unless, of course, dying was so that he could make it possible for you to remarry him after the new covenant had already been established. Maybe if we were to read the New Testament with Torah-observant eyes, we would read it differently than we've been taught to read it today. Next passage or next thing I have for you is this. It says, who changed the truth of God into a lie and worshiped and served the creature more than the creator who is blessed forever? Amen. Romans one twenty-five, Worshiping created things, paganism, trees, right? All that type of good stuff. Well, you're going to find this in your homework as well. This is just 10 verses. There's another link in there with 30-something verses that you might want to look at talking about syncretism. The Deuteronomy 4, 15 through 20, Deuteronomy 17, verses 2 through 7, Exodus 20, 1 through 40, uh, 1 through 15, Exodus 21 through 10, Romans 1:25, 1, 1 Corinthians 10, 20 through 21, Exodus 25, Matthew 4, 8 through 10. Book of Revelations 22, verses 8 through 9 it says, I, John, am the one who heard and saw these things. And when I heard and saw, I fell down to worship at the feet of the angel who showed me these things. But he said to me, do not do that. I am a fellow servant of yours and your brother in the prophets of those who heeds the word of the book. Worship God. In other words, don't do to me what the pagans do. Don't turn me into a god. Luke 4.8, Jesus answered him, it is written, you shall worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Get that pagan crap out of your religion. Don't do that. Now, if you go to your homework, you're going to find a second section down there. That's syncretism, right? Holy. What does it mean to be set apart? There's that word that Charlie and I were discussing with you again, Kadesh. Kadesh. That's in the Hebrew read from right to left there. Often translated as holy, it also has a deeper understanding to be separate and set aside for Yahweh, not like the world or things that are of the world. It says, you are a people set apart as holy or set apart for Yahweh, your Elohim. Yahweh, your Elohim, has chosen you out of all the peoples on the face of the earth to be his own unique treasure, Deuteronomy 7.6. Last I heard, this is still Israel in the desert with the mixed multitude. And we think, oh, he's just talking to Israel. He is. Not the nation of Israel, not the physical nation of Israel. He's talking to the spiritual nation of Israel. Hebrew and Gentile alike. Of course, Hebrews are Gentiles who have crossed over. Abraham was a Gentile until he crossed over, which is the Old Testament way of saying born again. And before we keep going, something very important I want to cover with you. Say, well, we're saved by faith now, Joe. You have always been saved by faith from the time of Adam. If this is not true, then Scripture is seriously broken. Because the book of Hebrews tells us by faith and faith alone. Nowhere in the Bible does it say we've gone from works to faith. We have always been saved by faith. Always a trusting faith from time immemorial, before and after the cross. Nothing changed other than the flavor of ice cream that Yahweh wants you to eat. You went from the law, vanilla, Plain vanilla, not even good French vanilla. You went to the new covenant. That's either pralines and cream or butter pecan, if you're like me. Because they're both really creamy and yummy with full of little sweets and chucking some nuts. You know, every now and then this stupid little monkey squirrels find a nut in the scriptures that keeps us wanting to eat that new flavor ice cream. Better reward. It's better covenant, but it's still ice cream. Okay. Didn't change. Doesn't change. Still saved by faith. Always been by faith. You cannot earn... I'm reading a book now. I'm almost done with it. And this author claims that under the covenant with Moses, you had to save yourself through works. He never once realizes that if that is true, Scripture's broken. Because it meant that under the old covenant, you didn't need faith. You could put Yahweh into your debt, simply by keeping the law of Moses. So Joe, that wasn't possible. Wanna bet? Joe, nobody can live without sinning. Didn't say that. Law of Moses never said you had to live without sinning. Law of Moses told you how to live according to the law. And it gave you something to do if you broke the law. Never said that you you wouldn't sin, it just said you could still live according to the law of Moses, even after being a sinner. So it was entirely possible to put Yahweh in your debt by following the law of Moses. And the scripture tells us that there were people who lived a righteous life, blameless before Yahweh. Elijah, blameless before Yahweh. So much so, he was snatched up. So Elijah earned his way to heaven. Right? Wrong. Faith. Always been faith. You can't earn your way. But now, did Elijah obey Torah? Yep. So how does that work? He was obedient, but he didn't earn his way to to heaven. He got there by faith. And somehow or another, the new covenant has changed that? Are you sure? Better be careful with that. 2 Corinthians 6, starting in verse 14. Do not be mismatched with the unbelievers. For what do righteousness and lawlessness share together? What is righteousness? Obedience. What is lawlessness? Rebellion. Disobedience. And what does the light have in common with darkness? Or what harmony does Christ have with Belial, Belial, which is another name for Satan? Or what does a believer share with an unbeliever? Or what agreement does the temple of God have with idols? For we are the temple of the living God, just as God said, I will dwell among them and walk among them. And I will be their Elohim, and they shall be my people. Therefore, come out from their midst and be separate, holy, sanctified, says Yahweh. And do not touch what is unclean. And I will welcome you, and I will be your father to you, and you shall be sons and daughters to me, says Yahweh Almighty. Don't worship me the way the pagans worship their false gods. Don't touch the unclean, in this case, being the profane, the common. What what does the common, what does the pagan have to do with? Why are you bringing Christmas and tide and holly and, and the 12 days of of merriment and, and debauchery and, and drunkenness into a holiday I never even, you know, created holiday that I never even commanded you to keep? What are you doing? And we defend it as being, well, that's Christ we got to defend, keep Christ in Christmas. Why do you worry about keeping Christ into a holiday that he wants nothing to do with? Oh, well, you know. <clears throat> Asking for a friend, so to speak. Sanctify. To be set apart for a special use or purpose. Sanctified means to be set apart for service to Yahweh. The three phases of salvation. Justification that puts you right with God through faith in Christ. Sanctification, the process of being made holy, being set apart, more like Christ, continues all your life. She says, you know, she's running, she says, I'm not yet perfect, but I'm pushing on to the goal. Using Paul's language. Glorification, to be made perfect like Jesus after death. We have been saved, justification. We haven't been saved, we've been justified. We are being saved. We're being sanctified. We will be saved. We'll be glorified. All for the glory of the Messiah and the Father. But this is a process of you've been called out. You're going through the process of being set apart by learning to become obedient. And eventually, you'll be perfected. And all imperfections will be removed from you and I. Torah is a set-apart lifestyle. That's exactly what it means, too. What's what it teaches. You must obey all my commands and be set apart unto your Elohim. Numbers 1540. Now this picture is from 119 Ministries. They do some good work, but be careful with those folks. They tend toward the side of legalism. I'm not telling you don't go there. They do good work. Be very discerning when you go there. They teach sound doctrine, but they also tend toward legalism. They read some things as being still in place that literally cannot be. But if you have questions with them, let us know. We'll help you out with that. Just send us an email. The book of Revelation, verse 14, uh, chapter 14, verse 12, says it takes both grace and Torah. Please heed these words. Here is the patience of the saints. Here are those who keep the commandments of Yahweh and the faith of Yeshua. How does the church miss clear statements like this? Obey Yahweh, faith in the Messiah. Faith in his cross, in his atoning cross. He made it possible for you to remarry the father and become the bride rather than a divorced wife. Anyway. The word of God has changed. Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Hebrews 13.8. Christ is the word of God, word of Yahweh, living word of Yahweh, Revelation 19.13. Also John 1.1. 1, 1. Thus, the word of Yahweh is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Which means Torah was not done away with you're still under it, what you have to find is how has it changed? How does he expect, how does Yahweh expect us to observe his commandments now under the new covenant? That's our task, and not to be mixing pagan practices in with it. I know that a lot of people will look at the Bible and say, well, look, Jesus is riding on the clouds. That's pagan. Yes. Well, that means we can do Christmas. No. What do you mean, Joe? Who declared the rider of the clouds? Yahweh through his prophets. So maybe the rider on the cloud being related to Baal was Baal took it from Yahweh. Did you ever think about that? Or maybe it is pagan and it was turned toward worship of Yahweh. But who did it? Yahweh did it. You and I can't do that. Yahweh can do it. He can declare it set apart. He can declare it to apply to his name. We can't. Why not, Joe? Well, because he said don't do that. You don't tell him what to do. He tells us what to do. We're the servants. Not the other way around. We're the clay, not the potter. As soon as we start thinking we're the potter and he's the clay, well, now you're in trouble. And we do that way too often. And way too casually. So the whole purpose of yesterday and today, I've seen lots of defenses of Christmas. It's not, it's it's celebrating Jesus. Fine. You see that bull? That's Yahweh. Woof. Burned you up. Try again, Joe. Oh, wait a minute. Sorry, I got rid of him. Next idiot that wants to bring strange fire before me, please. What do you mean calling me an idiot, Yahweh? Well, you just saw what happened to him and you're gonna try it again. You're not too smart. Stiff-necked. Hey, I'm not trying to be flippant here. I'm trying to actually make a point. We're either We're either dedicated to the rule book or we're dedicated to the teachings and traditions of men. And how can we distinguish between the two? You have to read the rule book. Comment on the board from Clay Toler. Where in the Bible does it say that pastors are allowed to make money or get paid to teach the word of God? Uh, Paul. The worker is worth his pay. Paul just says he does not accept pay so that nobody would hold that over him and expect him to dance to their tune. But he says that even if he wanted to, he'd be worth his wages. Paul does teach that it's worth paying the pastor if you, if, if that's what's required. And then it's also in the law of um, Yahweh. The Levites were provided for within the law. Now, they had to earn their money, but they were given farmland and, and tithes to the temple were meant to support the Levites, which are doing the priestly duties. So Yahweh and Paul affirms it even into the New Testament. It is there. Now. Any pastor who gets rich off of the people, false teacher. And by rich, I mean, teachers shouldn't be acquiring more than what is necessary for them to do the job that they're called to do. But keep in mind, um, David is a prophet. He was rich. Okay. And Solomon was a servant of the Lord who in, in the beginning was Blessed by Yahweh. Because, I mean, look, he was given a wish and he wishes for wisdom and Yahweh granted it. He got rich beyond probably one of the richest people that's ever walked the face of the earth ever. And look what happened to him. But he was wealthy. Job is a servant of Yahweh. Goes from in his time rich to poor to double rich before his troubles. We know that Jacob is a servant of Yahweh. Look how rich he becomes. Abraham. Money is not a curse how you use it is, how you use it will determine your heart. So hopefully that answers your question, Clay. Um, Charlie, you got anything you want to add to today's discussion? Because I find suddenly that I just got the, I've been told, stop, you're done.
1: Well, I mean, I think we've covered it pretty well. And uh...
0: We did good, okay, today, because I saw you over there bobbleheading a couple times. Yeah, I just don't yeah. know if that was the screen you were reading or no, no, what we were teaching. That's
1: good. I mean, it it really helps to understand, you know, what kodesh means, and and uh, you know, to become holy or sanctified, as we would say in English, um, because that's that's really what what our objective is. Is we are to live our lives so that we can be an example to others
0: that part about being set apart to be holy you know to be sanctified set apart for Yahweh what part does the clean have to do with the unclean what part how can you take something that was set apart for Yahweh and something that's set apart or claimed by the pagan gods and make them that's what that whole passage is about you can't blend those two no because if you take a little idolatry and blend it with your set apart worship A little leavening spoils the whole batch. You want a
1: little arsenic in your water? Yes.
0: (laughs) And Yahweh will punish us for that. So
1: It doesn't take a lot.
0: No, and if you don't do something to get it out of your house, which is the whole purpose of Passover, looking for the yeast in our house. Yeast doesn't poison us. Yeast is a good thing. But in this case, yeast is used as a metaphor for it's sin. simple, right. Yeah, and we're supposed to spend a day or so getting ready to search your house for sin. Yep. Okay, so you look through your own house. Well, we missed the metaphor there. What is your house? <laughs> you. Yeah. Search your life. The house of Joe. Yeah.
1: All right,
0: Well, right, we'll wrap it up, Charlie. All right. We'll call it a day, folks. Um, I did. I just, for whatever reason, this is this overwhelming feeling of you're done just overcome me and I'm I'm learning to follow the bouncing ball in my head so we're done we're done we thank you for being here we love each and every one of you we hope we're serving you throw something up there real quick while we're signing out I'll let you look at that you've seen that before whoops that's where I want it if we have done something that you've appreciated please give us the thumbs up signs that talks to Charlie and Natasha and I and tells us that we personally are doing a good job. Um If you think that anything we're teaching will be helpful to others in your life, please share the show with them directly. Send them a link to whichever show you want them to watch. Ask them to watch the whole thing. They may not. That's not what you're responsible for. Warn, spread the word, teach the word as best you can. And then if they don't accept it, shake the dust off your feet and move on. Warn who you can. You're not responsible for whether or not they receive it or accept it. You don't make the plant grow. Just plant it. Maybe just plow the ground and let somebody else plant and somebody else water. But you and I are not responsible for making it grow. Don't take the Holy Spirit's job. That, that doesn't end well. It gets painful. But share it directly. Please give them a warning about me. We know that I'm an acquired taste. We don't say that gratuitously. It's not flippant. It's, it's, it's not meant to be a joke. Um, ask them to give the show time. If you've been with us any length of time, you know how this show builds off of itself. We're going to be going back, starting reruns, you know, on the 2nd, when we come back on Tuesday the 2nd, and um, we're going to start r- refresher courses from when the show first started, and uh, it'll help, you know, it'll help those of us that have been here, to help those of us that missed those, but share everything, Tell ask people to give it time. Um. Remember that we, we tried limitations of what we have available to us there won't be anything no no live shows next week go back to the archives go surfing go to youtube and and watch some of the uh, little sections that we've blocked off um, you can surf through facebook the archives are there for y'all um homework is still posted up on the blog page you'll still be able to find that to stay in 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 line with it Tomorrow is going to just be a uh, we're going to have donuts and medicine in the house and I'm going to do it off the hook art bell day thinking about maybe talking about um, whether or not the earth has been caught and sucked into a black hole or maybe we're all living in a uh, scattered through the universe somewhere or in an alternate dimension because there's actually been people who have done the math that say that's exactly what's happened to us it would explain the mandela effect and a bunch of other things so we're just going to talk about freaky stuff and whatever else comes up to mind so if you've got a any weird off the wall questions have them ready for the comment section tomorrow friday we're going to wrap up with my discussion between the christians and the uh, hebrew roots movement we'll use logic and this time we'll be into scriptural doctrinal questions um and today's show is a very good primer For what we're going to do friday and then we'll take off monday through the following tuesday so we'll be off for six work days and no i'm not taking off to celebrate christmas i'm taking off because bb is off of work and this is the traditional vacation time for me in my business and there's no reason for me to not keep with my business cycle or to spend some time with my wife while she's off work and i have a granddaughter birthday yep and charlie's got things to do and Natasha has family things going on as well. So, and we have no doubt that many of you will do the same. So until tomorrow, come on back for our last day of pagan debauchery and drunken revelry. In this case, just sugar donuts and highs, you know, whatever. Three donuts instead of two. That's the debauchery. Charlie might also have a snort or two of, of the tortoises medicine model. We'll see. We thank you for being here. We love each and every one of y'all. Y'all stay safe. We'll see you tomorrow. Bye-bye.